All right, we are live. Uh, so welcome to the Deadly Analysis Podcast. Uh, I am here today with Jim and with Shayra and uh, a special guest, my buddy Rob. Calls himself Rob, but every time I give him a drink of water, he starts bleeding into it. He looks weird half the time, doesn't answer quite. I actually don't know if this is Rob. I think it's Rob, but I'm not sure. So anyway, I'm here with a, a person that I think is Rob. Uh, and uh, tonight uh, we are gonna be talking about um, something more wholesome than we usually do on the Deadly Analysis Podcast, which is the annihilation of the human species. Um, something I'm kind of on board with, don't know about you. Uh, I think we should be teaching this to children at an early age, uh, pro-mortalism in kindergarten, if you will. Um, I am decisively pro-shimmer, and by the end of this podcast, I think you will be too. So uh, we are going to be discussing the 2018 science fiction film, Annihilation, directed by uh, Alex Garland, the same guy who directed Ex Machina. Uh, in fact, there are at least a couple actors in Annihilation who also played roles in Ex Machina. Um, Oscar Isaac is the obvious one, but 10 points if you can uh, pinpoint the second person, 10 points. Shayra, I know Jim knows this. Jim, don't say anything. I'm trying to get the damn chat to involve themselves with us. But there is a second person in Ex Machina who is also in Annihilation. 10 points if you can guess who that is. So Annihilation surrounds a the story of a place called Area X, which is a government facility on the southern coast of the U.S., where Lena, a cellular biology professor and a former soldier, is in quarantine. She undergoes a debriefing about uh, a, regarding a four-month expedition into an anomalous iridescent electromagnetic field, dub the Shimmer, which oddly enough was Rob's nickname in college for reasons that we are not gonna talk about. We're just not gonna talk about it. It's not something I wanna get into. Yet, and we're gonna, we are gonna cut the camera very soon. Uh, that sounded wildly inappropriate. Uh, so Lena and her husband Kane are the only survivors, and in a series of flashbacks, we see Kane, an Army Special Forces uh, soldier, and he appears in uh, their home, Lena's home with Kane, after having disappeared on a mission nearly a year ago. And Kane remembers nothing of that time, and he suddenly falls very ill, and a government security force intercepts Kane's ambulance on his way to the hospital and transports him and Lena to Area X where the shimmer uh, began to spread about three years earlier. And so, as the story goes, Lena puts her name forward for an expedition into the shimmer, but does not find what she's expecting when she hops into it. The expedition team is made up of a biologist, an anthropologist, a psychologist, a surveyor, and a linguist. Uh, all women, I might add, which seems purposeful for reasons that we'll probably get into later. Uh, so in case you're new to this podcast, what we do here is um, pretty much every week we select well-made horror films. Uh, we, uh, we, we basically dissect them and discuss why they're scary. We discuss the philosophy of horror, the cultural significance of horror. We jump into the shimmer, as it were. We just hop right in there. We embrace the refractory nature of that horrifying experience. This is getting way too poetic. Anyway, this is Jim's uh, film selection for the week. Uh, so uh, this is a movie where, oddly enough, Jim and I both like love this movie. I, I think this is a great film. But um, instead of hopping into why I like it, I think what I'll do is I'll throw it over to Jim and just ask that basic question that I ask at every podcast, and that is why you selected this movie. Aside from, Jim, the fact that grading papers probably made you feel like Josie in the movie, <laughs> just wandering into the woods and 
you know, uh, no, racing non-being. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. that's yeah, that's yeah. that's what uh, grading papers makes me feel like sometimes. Other than that, which yeah, clearly just... was the point of I, I think something you felt when you watched this movie. Uh, mm -hmm. Why did you select uh, 2018's Annihilation to, to talk about tonight? Well, actually, um, it's it's kind of funny that uh, I re I remember you were. Uh, you tweeted something out, something along the lines of what are the best horror films of the year so far? And, you know, we all tried to name a few and then somebody came up, I don't know who it was, but came up with Annihilation. I was like, oh shit, that is a horror film, or at least it's a horror adjacent enough to talk about on this podcast. And so immediately I added it to the spreadsheet just because I hadn't thought of it as a horror film um, prior to that sort of tweet conversation and uh i still i still don't necessarily think of it as a horror film um in fact when i left the the movie i thought of it more as a drama with science fiction elements and this was an intimate character drama with a metaphorical science fiction overtones that that was how I thought of the movie. And it was only in that tweet conversation that I started to think of its, its elements that qualify it as uh, part of the horror genre. And I think it, it fits rather favorably within the genre if we can uh, sort of expand the, our, our generic conceptions for a little bit. Um, but, and at that point, and in fact, by the end of the year, Annihilation was my favorite movie of 2018. I think it's the best movie of 2018. It is masterfully directed. It's masterfully well-paced. It's masterfully acted. And what is more, I think that there's a real metaphorical significance um, to this film, something that we, we, we talk a lot about on this podcast about films that cause fear, but this is one that I think is trying to confront it in a way that perhaps allays fear. And that's something we don't often explore on this podcast. So, and, and so I think that there's ample opportunity to do that um, with, with the film's metaphorical and thematic interpretation. What I'm not concerned with in at least my own conception of it is, first of all, I haven't read the book yet. I'm dying to read it. I haven't uh, student papers have have uh, eclipsed my my um, my reading for fun time, so uh, I haven't read the book. So I'm probably I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the book, and I'm also not terribly concerned with the diegetic significance of some of the moments in this film. Um, I think that this film works primarily as a thematic metaphor more than it does a diegetic story. Um, Although I do think it works as a, a, a literal story as well. So I but but primarily the most interesting meat on the bone is is in the film as metaphor. And so I'll probably get into a lot of that at the time at, um, over the course of, of the podcast. Um, why did I select this film? Because I think it's really interesting. I think it's got a lot of um, heavy and interesting themes to for us to discuss. And I think it's incredibly well made, and uh, I, I I think that it's uh, it's something that I wanted to essentially have a love fest about because I I unabashedly love this movie. It'll be my uh, my highest rated film on the podcast so far. So um, I hope everybody else loved it as much as well. 
you probably can't love it as much as I did, but I hope everybody else loved it as at least in the the same ballpark as as I did. So, uh, yeah, I'll I'll sort of uh, expand on uh, the film's metaphorical points a little bit later, but I want to turn it over to uh, to the rest of you and get your general reactions first. Yeah, I I dug this movie. I um so I've only seen it twice. I saw it once in theaters, and I. I, I don't think I was like prepped for sort of what the, the movie was kind of conveying. It, it uh, didn't make the same impact as watching it a second time uh, and a third time, actually. It's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of films we've covered in this podcast that like a first viewing is great, but like a second and maybe a third tends to kind of, you, you look for other things. And one of the things, so I actually think this is a horror movie. I mean, it's definitely sci-fi. This is the thing we always get into in this podcast is kind of, the classification element of some of these movies. Um, we did The Lobster, so this is way more towards horror than The Lobster, but that's gonna be our standard. That's our threshold from now on, is The Lobster. Uh, but like, think of the, there, there are traditional horror elements in this movie too. Think of the, the scenes with the bear and with, um, you know, I mean, just the idea, just the concept of DNA refracting and being in an area where everything that's familiar becomes suddenly unfamiliar. There's almost a, like, uh, uncanny valley aspect to a great amount of this movie that becomes um, just unsettling is maybe a better word than terrifying, very unsettling. Um, this film, to me, has one of the best alien sequences I think I've seen in any movie. I think the um, the scene at the end with Lena and the alien is one of the most. I, I don't want to say accurate. I mean, nobody. I to my, I'm not Alex Jones, so I'm not going to say everyone's like other people have seen aliens. But uh, you know, I think if we were to confront some sort of alien, um, it would be like what we saw in this movie, where there's a degree of ineffability. There's kind of an ephemeral uh, aspect to the alien being that is not easily understood and understandable during that sequence. The music becomes radically different, divergent from the rest of the movie. Um, and that left me so fucking unsettled. It left me more unsettled than a lot of horror films that I've seen, traditional horror films. Um, so to that extent, I think that this, this movie, it, it may not be a traditional horror film, but it has very horrifying elements, I think, to this movie. Um, I really want to know Shayra's thoughts because I know Shayra, one of your, I, I, you know, what we've learned from this podcast, right, is one of your biggest fears is the idea of replacement, replication, non-being, the removal of your personhood, right? Even if you're still there, that's one of the things we learned, I think, when we did Invasion of the Body Snatchers, is we noticed one of the things that scares you the most in these horror films is the idea of being potted, replaced, you know, um, and this movie has that. This movie has that thing that does it for you, so I'm curious to know if it scared you maybe on par with some of these other films that we've done? Like, what are your thoughts on this? This movie is fucking horrifying to me. And the reason why this has gone all the way to the top for me, and because you guys already know my fear, but this made my fear real in that. So Daniel and I are sitting and watching the film. And they are going over the idea that we are... Uh, replacing ourselves with our DNA, like uh, in our cells are replacing itself all the time. Like that's what our body is literally doing. And then eventually cancer just eats it away and we die. Like our memories and our, our skin, our every part of us changes. And then, you know, you start thinking about biology and the fact that 
all of our entire body completely changes after 10 years. We are pod people. If we went to go see our you know, 10 year younger self, we'd be a completely different person, not only in our thoughts, but also in what, what is in us. And um, when you look into the DNA code, um, it changes, we get markers on ourselves. For instance, when there was a um, famine in a particular village in Ireland, there are markers that were attached to their DNA that were passed on to their children. That is how DNA works. Literally our baggage gets transferred to our kids even. Like we are, our baggage is in our code. <laughs> and it's so scary because it, it basically all the things that I say are my fear. This movie told me it's real. Like, like my fears are real. I literally have, I'm a pod person. I have replaced my old self. It's so fucking scary. But maybe in a way that's refreshing. I don't know. It's I, I don't know how to I don't know how to deal with that at this point in my life. I have to like mold this one over for a while, I think. Yeah, that's uh I, I'm glad that you picked up on that because I it's it's one of the things that's um so insightful and beautiful about this film is that it is talking about our pain. Like each of these characters is dealing with a particular trauma, a catastrophic event. You know, one has had a, a child die. One uh, is, is an addict. The other uh, cuts herself. The another has cancer. And of course, Lena, our, our main character, um, has committed infidelity and is watching her marriage um, fall apart as as a result of it. So all of these these characters are dealing with a traumatic episode. And what is more, the film then talks about like the biological coding that tends towards self-destruction. Uh, Ventress's great monologue where she's talking about how, very few of us will commit suicide, but all of us will self-destruct. Uh, or many, uh, maybe it's uh, many of us self-destruct. We poison the good marriage. We poison the good job. We we tend towards self-destruction. And so the, the film, both metaphorically and literally, is dealing with how our DNA, how it's written into our biology to... Uh, to to engage in behaviors that in some cases don't lead us toward happiness or don't lead us toward the lives we want, um, the, our best lives. And that is just, it's profoundly interesting. And that, that's like the type of idea that I want to sit and mull over uh, during two hours of watching a, a, a movie, especially one that has some really good sequences and in, in engaging characters as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you're hitting one of the many nails that this this uh, this film sets up on the head. Um, that one that one particularly was was um, really uh, it, that that was moving to me was was how um, that Ventress's monologue there that was that was so moving to me. And and then of course it then gets interrupted by one of the characters who's catastrophic event, a, a child dying of leukemia, something that is no fault of her own, that she has no control over, that she's not, it's it's just a thing that it happened to her life. And then she dies as a result of a bear 
coming from nowhere and dragging her away. She dies in the same type of extraordinary catastrophe that afflicted her. Um, and then, of course, that that continues throughout. But uh, I'm going to shut up uh, because I I could talk a lot and throw it to someone else. Uh, Rob, we haven't. Is Rob there? No. Uh, so, oh no, Rob's there. Hi, Rob. Uh, we haven't heard from you yet. So, what do you think? Am I muted? Yeah. Uh, the the theme that I that well, yeah, the self destruction thing. I was I'm actually talking to Noah about it just before you brought it up. I said that that was one of the themes that I thought really resonated with me. But also the, um, the one of the things that uh, the, the most impactful things for me was it really captures. It, it probably sounds a little light to to say that it really captures the profound indifference of nature, because it it seems so uh, malevolent at times. But I mean, it really, I mean, the the best and worst you can ever get from nature is it's just sheer indifference towards you. And so the bear's indifference towards your suffering or the, that alligator attack. And I mean, these things just don't care. And your suffering hangs in the balance. And um, that's that's an element that I really liked. It's a, um, I don't know, somehow or other, it's, a, it's like a fundamental tenet of my philosophy is that life is just really doesn't care about you. And I uh, really like the way they express that in this sort of peculiar horror sci-fi dynamic. They expressed it through the, the doctor, too. <laughs> that scientist dude who was interviewing her, he mm -hmm. kept asking, why, why, why? And at a certain point, both my daughter and my husband were just like, there is no why. There's no why. Right. We keep Stop trying to imbue, they keep trying to imbue the shimmer with agency. And that is a, and, and, uh, Lena and everybody else in the fit, well, Lena specifically is saying, I don't think it wanted anything. And yeah. that is, that's to build off of your point, that's what you're talking about. It's the indifference of nature. It yeah. doesn't have an agency, it just is. And that is can produce the bear that, that incorporates your death screams into its roar and also incorporates flowers into the antlers of, um, I don't know what those creatures were. So it's both beautiful and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. And that, I, I think you're right in pointing out that other point of the uh, the film. Well, I particularly like to, uh, I, I, there's a point where, you know, she's being debriefed, that's the whole, that's the whole, um, you know, the greater context of how we're learning the story. So as she's as she's going to the debriefing, I think I, it's been a couple of weeks, but the guy that, uh, that's interviewing says something to the effect of, so it is malevolent or something like that. You know, it, it, it does have uh, sinister designs on us. And she says, no, no, I, I don't I don't think it does. Uh, uh, how did she respond? Something, something to that effect. Uh, yeah, no, it's almost entirely like that. Like her idea is that it's uh, I mean, and that's that's what I was going to say, actually, is the it's not just nature. Right. It's the it's the actual alien, the alien itself. And we see that by the end of the movie is doesn't seem like it has anything like a malevolent desire or it could even have that. It just seems like, oh, it, it's just meant to reproduce or survive. Right. To to kind of go on. Anyway, yeah, the, 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 I just realized it was uh, something to the effect of um, uh, it's not trying to destroy. It's just trying to change. And that is a that's probably I mean, certainly to me. But I mean, I know there are people that feel deeply threatened by change, particularly trained. Yeah, I mean, um, and why wouldn't you feel threatened by change like this? 
but um, that's a really subtending fear for so many people. Just the idea of like, well, that's change. That's awful. That's just well, no. In the grand scheme of things, no, it's just change. It's just going to be different. That's all. And uh, this is just a new kind of life. It's not the destruction of life. It's just the reinvention of it, the reimagining of it. Annihilation is a misnomer unless maybe you're talking about the self-destructive tendency. It's just change. <laughs> but no, I, I, the thing that's really interesting about the uh, being, I guess we'll call it, um, is that it copies. And um, I, the thing that is really weird to me, like the idea of screaming out, you know, the last horrific words of someone screaming for their life to not be ended. But what's interesting is I almost wonder if that creature was trying to connect with these other beings. Like, hey, look, I sound kind of like you. Like, hey, I'm cool. Look, I have this mask on. It's it's the skull of this girl kind of morphed into my bare head now. But like, look, I'm one of you. Like, look, see, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I feel like this is uh, I don't know if it was meant to be, but I feel like this is a um, idea of like how messed up we can be sometimes when we're trying to relate to others. We can be really awkward and messed up and probably come across as monsters. That's, yeah. I think, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, uh, we got a good uh, chat comment that I think mentioned this. It kind of points, so uh, Alexander Sullivan says, it kind of points out how manufactured our ideas of malevolence and benevolence are when indifference is the way of nature, which I think is a great way to put it. Um, and I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I'll let you go, Jim. I was going to talk a little bit about Josie's death, which I think to me is one of the, one of the like most impacting deaths I've seen in a movie and you don't really see anything. It's yeah. the, it's the least violent. Um, it's off camera, but it's one of those that hit me harder than anyone else. I think even in the context of the bear screaming out, yeah, no, you know what? The bear wins. I take that back. The bear wins. Uh, but yeah. Go ahead and talk about Josie because I think, you know, I was going to go to sort of a more global theme of the film. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you let's talk more about this. Yeah. I mean, my my 30 second later. version of, of this was, you know, we see a lot of these people die. Um, and, you know, I think and it's been a little while since I've seen it, too. But I think she says something like Ventress wants to under. Uh, Ventress wants to kill it. You want to understand it, or th those may be reversed. Uh, I, I, I uh, Ventress, Ventress wants to face it. Face you it. want to fight it, but I don't think I want either. But I don't think I want any of those things. And, you know, as she's saying that, you can see the branches in her arm getting larger, like yeah. within a few seconds. And there's a sense in which, you know, she uh, embraces her own kind of annihilation. She walks into it. There's almost a stoic acceptance of things with Josie. Oh, yeah. um, and I didn't like, uh, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect a character to behave that way, especially one tasked with going in and understanding the shimmer and whatnot. And that was um, a very quick, but very existentially rich idea of, of death. Um, and it, it just stuck with me, you know, and this is a movie with a pretty heavy degree of viscerality with the bear, uh, alligators and kill anybody that bear scene specifically, Ventress, they all kind of die in fairly violent ways, but that one just sort of stuck with me. Um, almost the, the idea of the acceptance of the refraction. It's almost like if the shimmer had gone out for years and years and years and gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Like that is essentially how jo it was almost, there's an acceptance in that in the way that Josie died. It was almost like, okay, well, this is the way things are. And um, 
acceptance, I think, is it's beautiful and also in the context of this film, utterly horrifying. And that's the way I felt like her death was was captured. It was unbelievably scary, um, but it was uh, beautiful too. And there's there, that's all over this movie, right? I mean, think of the idea of the shimmer itself. It's this iridescent, almost like mixture of oil and water. It's scary, but different and horrifying, but beautiful. There's a lot of that in this movie from the scenes with the, what is it, the deer antlers with the flowers coming out. But like, let's get more visceral. Like there's a scene where they're at the bottom of the pool and they see that person uh, fucking, like that person plastered on the wall and there's flowers growing out of them, but their skull is still there. Like there's this theme in this movie of the horror of change. I mean, we mentioned this earlier, but I think that's a big part of this, the fear of change. We talk a lot about you know, what the fears are in some of these horror movies. And sometimes they're the most simplistic, like the fear of change, the fear of, of something different, of something uncanny that looks like us, a world that looks like ours, but is not ours. Like that slight change is enough to scare us, which I find to be uh, just interesting and different. And this movie really captured that, you know? That's, I'm part of that is because change is the literal... No, the the figurative death of your past self and the 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 movement from that that dead self into a new self when we let other people in and when we let them change us and when we let um the environment change us or when we let the our interactions with other people change us the people we are before we enter those interactions are dead and how how is that not scary to uh to to allow something or someone into something that we don't know what we're going to become afterwards um and i think that that josie's death i, I think you're right it is probably one of the most um uh intellectually frightening deaths of all of the uh, uh of all of the ends in this film because in Josie's case she's it's first of all the first time we see her wearing her scars openly and it's the first time that we see her and and I think it's a a moment in her life where she's finally embracing her pain and embracing the idea of moving into something different that's going to feel um, she talks about the, what, one of the things they talk about is, uh, did she try to kill herself? No, just the opposite. She was just trying to feel something. And I think that this moment where she's going out into the, uh, the, the shimmer while well, going out into the, the greenery and sort of in becoming one of it, one with it is her embracing, um, the, the feelings of being uh, a, a part of a larger structure, which I don't think, you know, she seemed ra relatively isolated up until that point. And so this, I, I think that is profound. And I, you know, you were getting to why it's most, most scary. I think it's most scary because that's something that we have to do every day when we interact with other human beings. And we can either close ourselves off or we can sort of walk out with, you know, arms uh, outstretched, ready to uh, to face it. A lot of a so. lot of people that have mm -hmm. these like dark parts of their past. I guess we all kind of have a dark part of our past, but 
when you when you fully accept it, it can come across almost bizarre to others. Um, I know that, you know, I've been a lot more open about things that have happened in my past. I've talked about it in live shows. Um, like I've, I've been very, very open about horrible things that have happened to me. At times people are like, how can you talk so nonchalantly about these things? And honestly, this is how I need to be. And it's scary to some people. They're like, how can you be so open about this darkness? And it's like, well, it happens embrace the fucked, <laughs> like, you know? And I think of um, the movie, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Um, I know it's not a very well-known or liked movie, but um, just having her daughter be the person who, who beats into her mom when, who, who is giving up. She's finally giving up on everything and she beats into her and she says, life is pain to her mom. That's literally what's happening in this movie. Life is fucking pain embrace the stink like it's it's just part of it um and when you actually understand that you can actually see the beauty in it you can actually see what it helps you become and how it strengthens you and how it helps you overcome stuff and how it helps you with your relationships even i mean i don't want to like get too much into the end but it, it seems like they were going to get along even after all the stuff that happened to them in fact it, these stuff happening to them might have brought them back together when they were falling apart right so it, it, it's almost yeah yeah lena and kate um i i think that when you start to understand that you've been through shit, you've changed and you embrace that and you accept that about yourself and are open about it there's actually a positivity to that and um but it is fucked <laughs> when you are trying to you know show your scars to people and and show how it's affecting you it's that's a hard thing to do so here's my question: Is the is that really Lena and Kane at the end of the movie? It's am I Shayra? <laughs> no, I was just saying, am I Shayra? No. Well, it's not. It's not the Lena and Kane, but it's a Lena and Kane. That's, you know, yeah. and it's a it's it's two people who are embracing each other at the end. Now, I find yeah. I am. I am cribbing a lot. Let's let, let me also sort of cite my sources as I'm talking about this movie because I, you know, I walked out of this movie with a lot of questions and and um, some of the, one of the YouTubers that did help me sort of understand why I love this movie as much as I do is uh, Folding Ideas podcast uh, or Folding Ideas YouTube channel. Dan Olson um, does a, a video called Decoding the Metaphor Annihilation and um, that really crystallized some of my thoughts about this film. I shared that with you, Noah. Um, so I, I, that's, I'm stealing his line when I say that's not the Lena and Kane, that's a Lena and Kane. And uh, I think that's a, that's a brilliant way to read the, the end of this film. That was one of the great, it's one of the great film criticisms because it helps you love the movie more. Um, but yeah, uh, so that's, that's how I'd answer that. Um, what about the rest of you? I was just going to say, uh, if an alien can get defeated by a flash grenade destroying everything, not sure, not sure how much of a fan I was of that. That was my one of my only criticisms of this movie um, was just sort of the and and I I don't know I'm not so I'm starting the audiobook. I shouldn't say I'm starting. I've listened to this is a long audiobook. Like this is a 26 hour audiobook. I'm uh, a good way through, but not a good way through in the context of the entire. Like there's three books. Um, but uh, 
Actually, I don't know if this is how it ends in the, I don't think it is how it ends in the book, in the audiobook. But that was one of my criticisms is that um, it almost seemed like too easy of an example. However, so the, to fight against myself here, um, despite the fact that something so simple can wreak so much havoc and sort of destroy the monster, as it were, um, I kind of think the alien, alien wins at the end, right? I mean, maybe this, let's jump to the end. Let's have the conversation with Lena and Kane at the end. Are you Kane? I don't think so. You know, and they hug each other and you get that little that little glimpse in Lena's eye. Are we talking, I hate to get too like metaphysical about this, but is this is this a shared consciousness, the beginning of a shared consciousness? Is this, is are, are these two different people? Are they people? Like what are we, like within the, you know, we've, we've sort of talked about the idea of change in a positive aspect, in a positive light, but what if that change sort of, I mean, think of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We talked about that one of our podcasts, like that's, it's not a net positive gain for the human species, let's say, people changing in that context. Do we think that it's something like that here too? I don't think so. So I don't know, what do you guys think about the ending? How do you guys interpret the ending? I think that that is reality and we are all interconnected and we all affect each other and we all are experiencing life together. Me knowing you has changed me. Like I am a different person because I know Noah. And not trying to put you on a pedestal, but that's just a fact. Oh no, I have a single tear going down my face right now. That's <laughs> the most beautiful thing that's anyone has ever said to me. So I, no, okay, go it's, ahead. It's literally part of our lives though. Like even just watching people watching us right now and listening to us, they're changing because of things we're saying. They may change their opinion on something. It might be the most minute of things and then it grows into something. Literally grows like a plant inside of us. And and I know this happens because this actually happened to me on YouTube. I, I won't go into it too much, but you guys know Mitch. Uh, I watched a bunch of his videos and I completely changed not only my religious beliefs, but my political beliefs because of him. I actually, when I met him in real life, I hugged him and told him that, that he literally changed a huge aspect of me. At first it was scary. I was really messed up over it, um, but it, I eventually embraced it and I was like, okay, I'm fine with being different. Um, but that was less than 10 years ago. You know, <laughs> you know, he completely changed me less than 10 years ago. And so um, I know that we all affect each other, even if we're not even around each other, just us putting out videos and sending out signals towards another one another is changing who we are as people and how we affect the other people around us. That's crazy. If you think about it, it's it's scary, but it's kind of beautiful, just like being in the shimmer. So. I don't know. It's, yeah, no, I, I, scary. I, I, agree. I don't know. No, I was just, I was sort of letting us silent because I was thinking about what you were saying. So I was just letting that hang in the air for a second before I, I said, but I think you nailed it. I think you nailed what this movie is about. Um, but, it, you know, we, we have talked about change is good, but we, we do need to talk about how, how change is bad. I mean, Ventress has cancer, which is literally the cells in her body. Uh, re, you guys are mic mute. Uh, the which is the the cells in her body literally uh, changing and and metamorphosizing until they kill her and her end where uh, the shimmer is already inside of her and then explodes out of her, turning her into these these sort of sparkly ventrous lights. Um, 
though that's that's sort of an example of how uh how change is is, is sometimes destructive. Um that needs to be a thing. I just want to point that out there. Ventress lights, like Lowe's, if you're watching this, <laughs> the sponsor for Lowe's needs to have Ventress lights. Yeah, I want Ventress lights for my house. Um, hopefully I don't have to get cancer to do it. Yeah, no, but you turn it on and it goes, annihilation, <laughs> turns on, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we're talking about the very end with the, the embrace between Lena and Kane. Um, as I've watched a lot of criticisms, uh, film criticism on this uh, film, there's it sort of divides into three cams. It's like the Dan Olsons who, at least for my money, absolutely get it. And I'm like, yes, this is 100% what I got from the movie too. Let's, you know, you and I be, uh, uh, let's, let's you and I, Dan Olson be one person, two alone, three together. Um, that's, uh, I, 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 there's that. And then there's also the, um, people who really like the first two acts of the film, but think that everything in the lighthouse is crazy. And then there are people who are like talking about reading the film diegetically rather than metaphorically. But that final mo though that final scene in the lighthouse is incredibly important to understanding this film and how um, Lena actually destroys the, the shimmer creature is it, it's, it's, absolutely necessary understanding that dance is absolutely necessary to understanding what this film is saying about pain so first she gets uh she the shimmer creature comes down where she watches ventress explode she shoots it she tries to react violently to it that doesn't work she tries to run away from it and in running away from a metaphorical representation of her pain it causes her pain to crush deeper into her it causes her pain to push um harder against her almost suffocating and it is only when she recognizes that the metaphorical representation of her pain this the shimmer creature mirrors her and she, when she can accept the the fact that this creature is also a version of her, this, is she able to manipulate it into its own destruction? And that all occurs visually. It incur, occurs in that little dance in in that room, um, and that I think is essential to understanding how this film works. So for those people, the middle group who sort of get this movie and sort of like this movie, but then dismiss the last act, I think they're missing out on exact on, on one of the more important things that this film is saying. I'm done. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I actually, th this is like this, this, the important part, right? So that was actually the most powerful part. Anybody who says that this, this scene was uh, ridiculous or unnecessary or what I saw was a bunch of videos of people being like, what the heck's the meaning of the end? I'm like, what? That's, that's the part right there. Like literally fighting your shadow self. This is something we've seen even in Zelda video games from the like late nineties. You know, you're 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 literally fighting yourself. And how do you do that? Like, how do you fight the dark sides of yourself and and get past some of some of the stuff that's happened? Get past guilt or or get past us. that. Yes. Exactly. Actually, that, that whole sequence at the uh, at the end when she's having the encounter with the um, the shimmer creature that's that's mimicking her, mimicking her for whatever reason that that uh, recalled. I 
it's it's a bit of a reach this movie, but uh, it recalled the movie Legend to me. You know the old Tom Cruise one. Okay, yeah, yeah. The dance sequence where the, the, Lily. the yeah the dark Lily, the yeah. the the one that has come to Satan and and decided to uh, right. embrace the darkness. Yes. Yeah. Well, she dances with it for a while, and she's seduced by the dance, and she you know eventually submits. Um, this movie, it, it, in so many ways, to me, it feels like photo negatives of things that I know because in this case she rejects the seduction, the the, the dance. Um, but I was telling Noah too, like I feel like, and maybe we'll maybe we should cover this in more detail later. But I feel like this movie's like a um, to some degrees, it's like a photo negative of um, the thing. Like it starts with the, the with the meteor crash, which always bothered me about the thing. I never liked the, the fact that it began that way. It ends with. Um, uncertainty about two characters is one is both are they are they aliens you know it, it, it actually you initially have a, a come to the conclusion that the threat's been annihilated it's been eliminated uh, but then you're still left wondering like did it get one of them um what else oh it's a photo negative in the sense that uh, the landscape instead of being the aus the austerity of the uh, the antarctic um here it's this lush you know jungle and i don't know it, re it just recalled a lot of great movies that that uh that I've always loved in, in pieces from them. even when they were tied up on the chairs, right? And the fact that it's all girls oh, when, yeah. the, when the thing was all guys is totally a photo yep. negative. Yeah, that's uh, a yeah. great. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that was a good scene. It, it, we didn't do the blood test, but uh, but yeah, I mean, they still tied up with chairs, and here we are at you know, it's who's got the conscience, Lord of the Flies time, and and where's you know, where do we go from here? <clears throat> yeah, that's interesting. I mean, even even the the, the obvious content of the like just. The fucking narrative of the movie is about change like right we take the thing as this alien that changes and mimics in kind of a one-to-one -one sort of way and it's like compound that by what a thousand and you have whatever the alien is in the shimmer it sort of refracts and reflects uh a large sort of apparatus like a, a large degree of it takes more area more square footage it's like the thing with more square footage well impacts even the, the landscape itself yeah in the in the thing they didn't have the option there was nothing to transform but yeah there are the trees i love that bit where she's looking at the plants and they all have different flowers but they're all uh, coming out of the same the same plant she's looking like they're they're different stages of mutation at different lengths of the vine you know yeah I love that bit. not only that but you know one of the things i remember is that this uh so the insidious part of i think the alien the creature in annihilation is that it also refracts memory um, there is a scene with Lena, you know, you see the in interior of her home in the beginning and there's a scene where they're in the, the shimmer and when they're in one of the houses, the staircase is exactly the same as Lena's house. The house is the same. Yeah. If you oh, look the on the house, outside, I remember yeah, the, I remember you... the, yeah, I remember part of it going, that's familiar. It's the same exact house with plants all over it. Ah. Yeah. Okay fucked right it's super yeah. fucked like they are actually in lena's house and um it, it, it's crazy like one of the things when she's getting interviewed um she's like i don't remember eating like there's a lot of stuff that just kind of i guess she spaced out on but she was literally living in reflections of her own spaces and memories so yeah. it's it's kind of it, it that, wouldn't that freak you out though she didn't go oh this is my house she was just like oh we're just still in this shimmer for someone like she didn't even notice that she was yeah, in her own reflection of her own house the transformation had been acting on her for i think weeks by then like they've been in it for weeks she was a different person like uh 
who knows if she had a clear memory. So that. even the familiar is unfamiliar to you at that point. And it, <laughs> it's been overgrown with something to make it seem like it's something else. And that literally happens to us, though. I mean, well, I mean that's the definition of change. that happen. Right. Yeah. That, Your that's perspective what changes, has changed. The familiar becomes unfamiliar. Like, that's change. Right. So that's that's the that's the theme, I think. I think that's the central theme I'm starting to realize from our conversation is like that that is the, the major thing that sort of flows through from the beginning of the film to the end um, where the familiar becomes unfamiliar, you know? Um, well, that's horrifying. Thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, to keep with that, I mean, we see the flaying of that one soldier and we see his intestines writhing or whatever, you know, whatever is taken over his gut is moving and alive. Imagine if that same type of uh, alteration of your physio physiology and chemistry is happening in your brain. And like if we had done, you know, if we had taken the skull off one of these people, would their brain be moving and, and alive in that same way? That was, uh, when I saw that, uh, that, that image of the intestines moving and then later on they have a, uh, the, after that, that section, we get, uh, the scene where, um, what's her name is freaking out. What's her name? Oh God. I know this. Um, it's the character with the gun, uh, the attic. Um, the one with the Ouroboros tattoo. I can't remember Anya. her name either. Anya. Okay. Well, actually by the end of it, Lena has an yeah. Ouroboros tattoo this is as what well. what we do. We absorb our friends, right? <laughs> Precisely. And and the soldier that they flay also has an Ouroboros tattoo as well. So all like it, it's this this movement of the Ouroboros cat tattoo sort of it, mimicking the movement of that. How paranoia. we live forever. What's up? That's how humans live forever. This is why we're pretty much act like a parasite on the earth is that we tend to replicate and, and put our markers on everything to help us live forever and ever. When we have children, that's part of our immortality. So, yeah, yeah it's creepy. <laughs> it's, well, that's imagine what that meant to me. Shit is going, but that movement, imagine if that, when, when Anya says, am I going to go nuts? Are my fingerprints going to move? Um, I imagined what would happen if your brain chemistry was moving, your brains were moving just the same way your fingerprints were moving. And that's the part that was like, that, that freaked me out most about this, uh, about what was going on to these people during when, during their journey into the shimmer. Can I overthink for a bit on the, uh, the uh, movement in the stomach? Okay. So, um, and this may just be based off of my own personal experiences, as well as the fact that I watched an entire autopsy show about Kurt Cobain. Um, <laughs> so I know you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? So um, I have an extreme pain in my stomach. It cannot be diagnosed. Um, people have done a bajillion tests trying to figure out why I have so much pain in my stomach. The thing that they've come to the conclusion of is that there are cysts on my ovaries that are probably pressing on nerves in my body causing extreme excruciating pain in my stomach um, when i was watching a documentary about the autopsy of kurt cobain um they, he was also an undiagnosed person with extreme stomach pain and um they were like thinking maybe because he had scoliosis pretty bad that maybe there was some kind of thing pinching nerves causing extreme pain in his stomach that could not 
they could not figure out why he was experiencing so much pain. And a lot of people speculate that the reason why he decided to commit suicide was because he could not endure the pain of that and many other things anymore. Um, and so when I saw, you know, them cutting in to try to analyze what's going on in this guy's stomach and you see all these things churning inside of there and it's just like, yeah, okay, there it is. Like, what can you do about it? Even if you did diagnose, oh, there's, you have moving worm syndrome in <laughs> your stomach. Like, what do you do about it? Nothing. You just have to kind of fucking deal with it. And and pain does change who we are, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's, whether it's psychological, it changes who we are. So, you know, I've been living with this pain now for about five years, and I know that it's changed a lot of the aspect of who I am. This is very martyrs-esque, you know, we're doing martyrs. Right? This is like, this is like a nice precursor for martyrs, pain changing and the metamorphosis because of pain. Interesting. I hate to spoil what I'm going to say next week, but fuck martyrs. This is better. <laughs> yeah, anni annihilation, annihilation is infinitely better than martyrs. Anyway, join yeah. us next week for a great movie called Martyrs. <laughs> join us next week where Jim says fuck martyrs at least twice. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll, that's a promise I'll keep. Um, <laughs> certain, I think there's a certain amount of, uh, um, fear of change. And I, I don't know why it occurred to me, but I was thinking about the scene there where, <clears throat> where they cut into the guy's stomach and then they, they show up there later. And obviously that guy's body has transformed into this, um, what would you call it? I, yeah. Living like sculpture. Skull, I don't skull know. Sculpture. It looked like a living sculpture or some kind. <clears throat> but he turned into something. He he exploded all over the wall. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know for what reason it occurred to me. Like we're so resistant, resistant to change at a fundamental level. Like we pay to have our bodies preserved after our death. What for fear that we'll turn into plants and trees and things, or eat, be eaten by worms or something like that. Like that's the that's the fundamental level to which we are afraid of us being different you know it just the idea that we even in death we want our body to be relatively the same like, like as if we care as if it matters as if it could possibly matter to anyone or thing um i don't know it just struck me as a sort of fundamental yeah i mean we, fear. yeah we almost uh we, we uh almost value continuity to an, an unhealthy level which may maybe that's part of the, maybe that's part of the point of the movie um continuity seems to be so central to us that um, change even after death, at least in that sense, looks uncanny. We see a person on a wall turning into flowers, and we go, okay, this is wrong, strange, different, bad. I'll you take know. the formaldehyde, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, anything to preserve us, right? Anything to be, to, to keep the status quo. It's really, I'm really realizing how... Oh, my gosh! And we do the same thing in life. The, oh, sorry, go yeah. ahead. No, I... Like, I have to say this because it just went, you guys made my brain go to the recent uh, South Park season where they were talking about member berries and the nostalgia that we constantly are attaching ourselves to. And like, oh, it was so much better back then. Everything was always so much better. No, it was shit then, too. You were shit back there. <laughs> like, it's it's not necessarily better or worse. It's just it is. And oh, like. But it's we do the same thing in life too like we try to preserve youthfulness there's that moment in the in in bed where lena and kane are talking and she's talking about aging and how aging is sort of this this code in our dna it's it's this 
um, faulty code in our DNA that causes us to age. And we, in our culture, we do everything to appear, to preserve the appearance of youth. Whereas, I mean, you were talking about trying to preserve life in death. We also try to preserve youth in as as we age. Um, we're obsessed with it. And, and that type of uh, behavior is part of what this film is, is bringing to light and how elementally change is encoded in who we are, but also how, how often we resist that change in our behavior and interaction with other people. Those fucking hawks genes. Those are the culprits. It's the hawks. The hawks genes, right? The hawks genes, which then cause plants to uh, to to be formed in the uh, the personage um, in in people shape. That was that was freaky for me because I was wondering not only are those are those plants that have human qualities or are those humans that became plants? Yeah. And then in that sense, do they have consciousness? Are these plants that have a literal sense of self? And I mean, that's nothing that the film goes into, but I'm I'm fascinated by the prospect of it. It's the echoes of our life. It's what we leave behind: our reverberations, our vibrations, our essence. It has no conscious. It's just what we left behind, and it's one of the reasons why we like to buy houses that you know, famous people died in or something. It's, it, we're like, oh, maybe their vibrations might, might be in the house. Like people feel like there's something that's left behind. And we go to haunt, haunted houses all the time to see if something might be there. So I don't that's, know. That's a right. scary thought. I never, I never considered that as part of this movie. The idea that what we typically consider to be inanimate or non-conscious could potentially be conscious post shimmer, like, yeah, it's terrifying. That's that, that is. I don't. I never considered that until this point. Like the idea that there's. I, I considered the. I mean, obviously, the I, the movie makes you want to think that the the plants are just taking on. You know, because hawks genes are also in plants. I think they say. I don't. Don't quote me on that. But it's a plant uh, ghost. Yeah, but the idea that they may be like sentient, especially considering Josie's death, uh, is yeah. fucking terrifying. Like, I'm yeah. gonna be Jane after this uh, film. Pretty much, I, I'm not going to harm anything. I mean, this is this is what I, you know, I was thinking about. You know, one of the reasons I'm a part-time vegetarian, pescatarian, uh, part-time vegetarian, is that I don't want to uh, to add to cruelty. Like, I don't want to kill an animal and 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 hurt an animal in order to to have food and sustenance for myself. And could I not be a vegetarian in the shimmer because killing a plant would be the equivalent level of cure cruelty as killing an animal in, in normal life. Um, that's, that's a fascinating thing that this, this film is. You're is eating the residual echoes of your friends or your husband's friends. <laughs> like, ew. Hey, Shira, like what's exactly. your, can I, can I, I'm really curious which film scared you more? This movie, the idea of losing self in this movie versus, um, let's say, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I mean, to a certain extent, like, there's quite a few films we've done where this is uh, somewhat of a theme. I think maybe the two that we want to compare is Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Annihilation. Like, which, which movie was more fear-inducing to you and why? Because I know that this is your 
thing, right? Like where mine is the contemplation of dying, like the moment of death. It's the idea of it following you. It's the idea of family in relation to that. Like that's my thing, right? So one of the things I'm curious about with you is this has very, this has similarities to the shit that really, really rubs you the wrong way. So I'm curious, which film scared you more? Uh, so with this film, uh, it was the reality that this is already going on and I already am being replaced. So that messes me up exponentially because it's just reality. But when it comes to, uh, you know, the pod people, it's, it's immediate. And maybe in a way that's kind of scarier um, just because like the idea of I immediate, but I was, I've been reading a whole bunch of, uh, of uh, Jean Godard. Um, he got into this really weird existential like tirade in a video I watched where he was talking about how our memories are constantly being erased, which we, we could go into with the, uh, Disney movie <laughs> we jokingly tried to uh, do a review of and then we were like wait this is actually more fucked up than we thought but your memories are constantly being erased so you are actually being replaced by having your old memories taken away and your new memories replaced but also eventually all your memories will completely fade and you will be completely dead and completely gone and everything is disappeared of who you are the only thing that could echo who you are is how other people may have absorbed that information, taken that into themselves and put it out to the world. And basically you die once everybody forgets about you. That's when your true death happens. Not, not when you actually die, but when everybody forgets who the fuck you are. And so um, like, that's probably why in our current age where we have social media, we're all in a way these like mini, uh, celebrities but also many audiences and we're always trying to like keep ourselves alive because maybe if we die and enough people uh could see what we had to say we might actually continue to live on a little bit fucking longer it i don't know it it, it, it this whole thing just kind of fucks me up because like what is us is it the videos of me talking about this or is it me actually as a person when i'm sitting and hanging out with you having a beer and you remember that conversation and talk about it with someone later on which one is more of a of a me living on? Which one is more me? It's tough. And, and to complicate that further, you made I it's possible that you made YouTube videos 10 years from now. Are those YouTube videos more authentically you than the YouTube videos you make now? Um that's that's another aspect of this thing that that uh, when we're talking about the evolution of Lena and Kane's relationship, what is more authentically their relationship? The moments in bed when they're having fun and, and a happy time, or is it the moments when they're hugging and she's actually hugging the Kane doppelganger? Um, but they seem to have a deeper connection there like a more elemental understanding of who each of each of them are in that moment than they do in sort of the light airy uh uh moments in bed so what is the more authentic lena and kane um all of these things are just uh fascinating questions because it's dealing this film is dealing very um directly with um the the composition and understanding of identity. And when you're talking about 
figuring out when the act your actual death is the death of your identity that's that's hard to pinpoint because there is no authentic you there's it's when you get hit by a semi that's that's the death <laughs> yeah but then the memory of your splattered brains will live on in the driver that's uh, that's it's true like there are things that 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 uh, echo out they reverberate like when when you throw a rock into a pond and, it, and, the, and the ripples happen you continue on a little bit right but not only just in who you interact with but if you have children your dna your code is actually taken with them or if you even just you know decide to uh you know come in a little vial and have that frozen that might be your your information that's kept alive i don't know how good the freezing this, of sperm is but you know like it's your code take this back to the things that you were saying earlier about how that famine in ireland had effects on the irish dna going forward so the people who lived and died during that famine reverberate on even though their names and identities and wants and wishes and hopes and desires have have vanished parts of them are still living in the the irish people of that area era so when you're talking about the literal and figurative and um psychic death of a a human being one of the things that this film brings out is that there are nevertheless biological and ramifications that stretch beyond our imagining. And uh, that's- What is death of, is really the question that's asked and that's fucked. <laughs> it is such a fucked question. Um, and actually this leads me into a thing that I have scoured the internet looking for people talking about this and nobody has maybe we'll be the first to talk about it. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but one of the things that Daniel and I picked up on was at one point we noticed that Lena is uh, in a flashback with her husband and she's reading a book about Henrietta Lacks. Did you guys notice this? Mm -mm. And then if you pay attention in the beginning, when she is talking to her class and she's showing the cell division and then says it's cancerous cells, she says it is that of a 30 year old or 31 year old woman. That is Henrietta Lacks. They have consistently gone back to Henrietta Lacks all throughout this film. It is a constant thing they slightly bring up, but it's very important to note. First of all, because of a black woman being used, according to some people in unethical ways, um, because they took her cancer cells and it has been replicated way, way a lot. Like, I, I don't know how to put it in any other way, like a lot. Scientists have used her cancerous cells even after her death continuously for research and stuff. And, and people have discussed the ethics of this. And is it okay to take other people's cancer and study it on into their death forever and ever? Um, and, and in a way, this is what this whole entire film is reflecting. Can we take other people's baggage? You know, that that's, that's her baggage, her cancer baggage, which they reflect baggage with cancer all throughout the film. Um, I don't know if any of you guys picked up on this. If you guys know more about Henrietta Lacks, please fill me in on it. But, uh, we notice these little points of cancer baggage and Henrietta Lacks all throughout the film. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I noticed the book she was reading, and I looked up Henrietta Lacks, but nothing beyond a cursory Wikipedia uh, look. So I, I, I don't have any additional information about her, but um, it was the first of many references to cancer. Uh, Ventress has cancer. Um, her uh, shepherd's um, daughter died from leukemia. Um, so all of even the shimmer itself is a form of cancer on the planet. Um, and of course, cancer uh, mutates uh, the, the cells in which it, it mutates the planet, mutates the, set, the host cells. And so I, I didn't notice anything beyond that sort of this is one more reference to cancer, more one more reference to how cancer works and for a while, I just thought this film was a metaphor for um, one's death via cancer. But it, as I thought more about it, um, it, it it took on greater significance as, as time went on. Yeah, I just I just have to sit here and wonder if there's um, you know this idea that maybe we all have our little breaks, right? There's there's little cracks in us as we as we age, we go through things and there's little breaks that happen to us and it makes it even hard for us to interact with some people who haven't been through much. We're just like, what? I, I don't even know how to talk to you. <laughs> you haven't been through shit. Um, and it, it's hard to communicate and, and have a relationship with people that haven't been as broken as us. Um, and so I almost wonder how much that's a reflection of that, but does that mean that the cancer or our baggage is us is that is our cancer good like i i know that that sounds really fucked up when i'm saying it but i i almost wonder if if that is us it is i i think i'm not i wouldn't necessarily say cancer is us what i would say is that the cancer in this film works as a metaphor for catastrophe and for those, and so we can start taking apart each individual character's end and talk about how the metaphorical catastrophe is dealt with. So in the case of Shepard, um, it's a catastrophe beyond her control, and so she dies in a way that's beyond her control. Um, in uh, Anya's case, it's a catastrophe of rage, um, she's an addict. Uh, she is hooked on her own uh, mental and emotional um, neurochemistry that's driving her toward um, anger and self-hatred. And so she dies in almost a literal suicide where she's shooting the bear and then the bear runs at her. In the case of Josie, it's a uh, catastrophe of being unable to feel or connect with other people. And so she ends up embracing the interconnectedness and, and wearing her pain and her scars openly as she walks into the greenery and becomes a part of it. In Ventress's case, the, uh, the catastrophe is cancer and she becomes cancer and it explodes out of her. In Lena's case, she, um, she begins the film as uh, she begins the journey into the shimmer as a somebody who has wronged her husband. And uh, there, there's that great scene where she's talking to the, the person with whom she had an affair 
um, the the other faculty member. And she says, uh, he says, it's not me, you, Daniel is his name. Um, it's not me you hate. And she says, no, you're you're one of the two people I hate or something along those lines that she indicates that she both hates him and hates herself for what she's done. And in her case, she has to confront who she is, realize that her pain is her in order for her to destroy it in that in that dance that we talked about earlier, uh, the dance with the alien. And then she has to go to her uh, her husband, whom she has wronged, um, are you Cain? Uh, are you Lena? And she doesn't answer the question, but instead they hug and they embrace. So it seems to me that the film is suggesting that those who embrace their pain um, and, and uh, those who don't try and run away from it, those who... Um, acknowledge that their pain is the th is part of the thing that makes them who they are but not necessarily the sum total of who they are are the ones who will emerge um more well adjusted than than the others who are trying to constantly fight it or um face it uh or or um well for those who who don't have any control over it they're just kind of fucked um, <laughs> uh, but that's, that's part of the cruel nature of, of, you know, I, I said on a previous podcast, this is the list of, list of the many reasons why life sucks. That I, I think for me, at least Shepard's character is by far the most tragic, uh, of all of them. So yeah, I, I talked for way, 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 way too long, but, um, that, no, was that was great. That was great. And I, uh, no, it's fair. That's a lot to chew on. Uh, one of the things that struck me as you were talking is there's another film we've covered that has something like this in it, and that's Event Horizon, oddly enough, where it's the idea of confronting. Well, in that movie, it's more or less. It's not. It's. I, I take that back. I was going to say it's confronting one's sin in Event Horizon, but that's. It's a very hyper-Catholic way of interpreting the movie. There's. I've seen interpretations of that, but it's really. It's an interpretation of one's baggage, and there's only. Mm, there's a. The protagonist of that movie who succeeds is the one who confronts his own past and his own demon, his own, um, his own, the, the thing that defined him, let's say. Um, so I find that to be very interesting. Um, that seems to be a theme in a lot, uh, I didn't say a lot of horror movies, but in maybe good horror movies, ones that make you think, cerebral horror films, at least a few that we've talked about in this podcast, is the idea of self confrontation. Um, you know, that is a, I mean, we're, we know, we know each other, Shara, you and I, Rob, even like we've done YouTube, atheist, Christian chats for a while. Like the idea of confronting who one is in light of larger questions is a scary thing, right? And um, I think uh, seeing films that replicate that, no pun intended, that, uh, that highlight that are, are th this is one of those, you know? Um, which is an interesting concept. We we go back to this a lot, and I say this in a lot of podcasts, but often it's 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 not the idea of a saw trap or a knife in the gut or you know a gun or someone breaking into your home that's scary. It's the it's these very fundamental concepts that films allow you to chew on in a tangible way that becomes the horror. And there's something about movies like that that last, that are thoughtful, that make you think about your place in the universe, what you are to begin with. Like, this is even more fundamental than that. You can't have a place in the universe unless you know you're a person. Like, what does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to change, right? We, Rob and I, when the mic was muted, we're, we're talking back and forth, 
about um, uh, the ship of Theseus and, and changing, right? Like what constitute change if you remove uh, the different boards on a ship, like when does it not become you, right? Thinking of Lena at the end of the movie, like just the idea of these as enterprises to discuss, just the philosophy of these things, even though they're fairly basic concepts to ponder, can lead you down some pretty fucking terrifying paths. Um, and I think this movie is a, is a good example of that. Um, so actually, I'm gonna actually raise my rating and how much this scared me. The, you guys are you guys are scaring me. Shayra and Jim, you're scaring me. Yeah, yeah, that's what I love. Like I needed another existential crisis. Thank you guys for this. Well, can uh, can we go into the really dark place and talk about Kane? Yeah, let's let's do it. I had Kane a whole is thing the dark Kane, place. So let's see what you have to say. <laughs> Kane is the Kane is the place where where I was like, oh shit. Um, well, okay. why why did Kane? Why specifically did Kane scare you so much? So, Kane got cheated on, um, and there's a horror behind that. Um, you, you're with someone who you absolutely adore and love that you trust fully, and that person does the unthinkable and completely, you know, destroys your trust of them. This is the person you were planning on spending the rest of your life with. This is the person you thought that you could, you know be with in a, in a, and that you could always depend on. And they were the most undependable, but on top of that, they were willing to just slice through your heart and just rip up who you are. And his destruction, his self-destruction was literally how it feels when you have that happen, when that trust is taken away, when you're with somebody, um, he became not himself anymore. He couldn't even, properly be himself in the relationship with her anymore. And eventually you get to her going into the lighthouse and she's watching the video and she sees what happened to him. And you see him crouching in the corner, which you saw the, the corpse before. And you're like, wait, that he's crouching in the corner. What the fuck? And then he is talking to something off camera and he's like, are you me? I don't know. And he's just kind of like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> he's well, just. That scene was real effective because uh, you don't know that he's talking to somebody off camera. He's talking and he turns the camera. Yeah, he might be talking to the camera, right? Well, it's I mean, so... that's, it just seemed obvious to me that's what he was doing. And then his doppelganger steps out and holy shit. Oh, hang on. I need to pause and reevaluate everything he just said in the light of the new information. And yeah, I love that. Are you me? Have I always been you or something to that effect? And, it's uh, so fucked. Well, and then, yeah, the way he decides to punch out phosphorus grenade, oh, I can think of better ways to go than that. Uh, yeah, intense. Yeah. No, but, that was really, that was the most disturbing scene in the movie for me, actually. Way more than in the a way, bear was creepy, but uh, that scene, that, I mean, it, this is a this is a, a suicide note, what we're looking at. And then you reinterpret it in the context of he's, he's staring the face of his copy. Who's the real one? Who's the mimic? All of that. Ooh, really unnerving scene. Really, but is it even suicide? It might even be, you know. Yes, it's obviously a suicide in the in the context of the film. But if we go into the allegory stuff, we have to sometimes kill a part of ourselves when we're hurt that way by someone we love very dearly. That's something we do regularly. We have to kill that pain and become a different, almost a shadow person of ourselves. And it can actually completely change and adjust what the relationship is now from now on, just from that 
breach of trust and the adjustment that you have to make to make it work. It's so dark. Seemed like a passing of the torch almost. There's probably an awful pun in there considering it went out by way of phosphorus grenade. But there's a, uh, it seems like there's a passing of the torch. Like, well, I can end my pain and I don't know what he's feeling, but he can take over. That's scary. Part, uh, go ahead, Noah. No, I, I, that's 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 the extent of my comment. That's horrifying. Isn't it? That's what, I think that's the creepiest scene in the movie. Is that? Is that yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that I was really unnerved by the snake guts thing, and then the bear was, of course, fucking terrifying. But, but yeah, that bit that like got me at a really gut check level, a really deep level. And that's why it's so powerful when she says to Kane, "Is this you?" And he's like. But that's literally what happens, right? So when that darkness hits the the guilt and all of the pain and all of the suffering of the relationship and you have to all adjust and you have to kill a part of yourself, that's literally what they had to do to have their relationship survive. And in a way, they became closer because of it. And a lot of people will look at people who've been through infidelity or other trust issues in, in relationships and they'll be like, how can you stay with that person? Go watch Annihilation. That's how. That's how you stay with that person. <laughs> you have to adjust and you right. have to like alien incursion and throw yourself. Yeah. Away. Don't go to the beach. Phosphorus grenade. Go to the lighthouse. That was my only moment of frustration. I was a little frustrated with some of their decision trees. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're just gonna push on to the hardest thing. Like, wait a second, you guys have recovered video and you guys have got new evidence. You guys have clearly come to some analytic conclusions about what you've encountered. Go to the beach and go back out. <laughs> like do us all a favor and report what you found. So I got, who was the, who was the lady who came what was her name? Ventress. Ventress. Yeah. Uh, I, I understood it with her. Like, she's like, I have to know. Like, I have to know more than I need to let everybody know what we find. Like, I, the most important thing to her was like, no, I, I want to go see. And I don't care if anybody finds Well, yeah, she has like terminal cancer. So why not? Yeah. Well, I mean. Go look into the abyss. Obviously it wasn't a killer right then. I mean, like she didn't, she had, uh, yeah, time. Yeah, she yeah she didn't have maybe long term survival prospects, but I mean, probably enough. Well, I mean enough to hike in there. You know, she was in good enough health to do that. So, yeah. in any case, yeah, that was a that was actually my only little petty fanboy gripe. I think was yeah. Once that, I was like, God damn it, go go to the fucking beach. <laughs> go, <laughs> go report what you found. There's a kind of optimism in Ventress, though, like the idea. I mean, so if we take the idea that so, I, I let me let, let me unpack why. So maybe the idea is something like. So you have someone, so she's the one who really only at this point has a death sentence from the beginning, I think, right? So if we think of all the characters, Ventress has a death sentence at certain, well, we all have death sentences, I guess, but she has one that's definite in a particular, probably a particular time frame. She's head of the line. Yeah. She's head of the line, right? So for her though, wanting to hop into the shimmer is a kind of, uh, maybe optimism is too strong a word, but it's it's hope. It's a It's a positive spin on change. Like, whereas we see the rest of the film as change as a fear, I think with Ventress, since she has no hope, you know, for all things being equal, um, the idea of what's in the shimmer is maybe a little more than just new knowledge, but maybe a kind of optimism in what could potentially be um, uh, maybe on the good. Like, we think of change as maybe, we should think of it as maybe a, 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 a uh, opposite sides of a coin, right? Whereas you know, change can be an unbelievably unsettling, horrifying experience that one gets used to, but maybe there's also this other side to it that is hopeful, optimistic, there's potential, there's something that could be good, there's something that could cure. Um, maybe those are, are 
two sides of the same coin. Maybe that's what's driving Ventress. I, th I think ultimately that's not what she gets. Um, you know, every, what does she say? Something to the effect of every atom is destroyed and annihilated. But um, the search for whatever the fractal shimmer alien-esque thing is, is a search for the positive aspect of change, something that's unknown that you're not used to. It's a, it's a drive to what's foreign, right? I, I, I like that idea. I like the idea of searching for the foreign, not being so much so scared of it that, you know, you embrace the fear of it. So maybe it's kind of the opposite of Josie's death is it, where Josie maybe embraces one side of the coin, maybe Ventress embraces the other side, like wanting to understand it as a means to potentially looking at the positive side of change, should there be one, you know? I don't know. She seems to be the hunter of the group, I guess is what I'm saying. She seems to be the one who seems to be searching for something harder than everyone else. And I want to think that there's an optimism in that. I don't know. Um, you know, she's got nothing to lose. So, you know, her search seems to be more um, vigorous. I don't know. There's, or, I, it's there's, a, or it's a kind of suicide. Yeah. I don't, I don't like to think of it that way. It's probably true. And I think they even mention that at some point, right in the movie that, that that's why she's here. It's a kind of, but I mean, okay, well, she could just fucking off herself free shimmer. Like, okay. If you're interested in suicide, like there's a plethora of ways to do that, but she decides to use this as an opportunity to say, what the fuck? I'm just going to hop in. There's optimism in that. Like the attitude of, I, I don't know what's on the other side. I'm going in is you can classify that as maybe a kind of suicide, but also kind of an optimism, kind of a, uh, you know, um, this is foreign to me, but fuck yeah, let's do it. You know, I like, you see what I'm saying? Like I, yeah, but also, I mean, let's not, let's, there is a possibility that it's an optimistic form of suicide, that it's a, a death and it's a change in death to something greater. And in in a sense, when she explodes and becomes these sort of Ventress lights, as we were talking earlier, I mean, the, there is a certain beauty in Ventress's death, even though it's horrifying and yeah. and, and um, tough to watch. But yeah, I don't think, I don't, when I said it, or it's a kind of suicide, I wasn't necessarily contradicting your idea of it being optimistic. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, yeah, maybe it's a very Western, uh, it's a very American idea that suicide is is, is not it. Uh, let me be very careful how I say this. That suicide is sort of intrinsically an, a well, net negative thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we consider it a sin. We consider it evil. Yeah. We consider it the most selfish thing that a person can do. We consider it, we've said all kinds of nasty things about suicide in Western cultures. So you're not wrong in saying that our culture uh, prefigures suicide as a negative consequence. Yeah. But the destruction of things, uh, you know, the destruction of ourselves, it's going to happen anyway, even if we don't commit suicide, because we are going to constantly be destroying what we are and becoming a new thing. And honestly, the reason why we exist is from something being destructed we are stardust things were exploding all the time in the universe bombardments of rocks all throughout space and then uh, and then here we are uh, like destruction isn't necessarily death it's a rebirth and that's actually a huge thing that happens uh, constantly in in horror movies especially but in a lot of other things that that death is not death it's it's a rebirth 
what we become again. And, and we literally see that in her with her scars and the, and the branches coming out of her. It's not a death, it's a rebirth. Um, and it's, it's not necessarily saying like, yeah, go commit suicide, kids. Um, but literally, we are changing all the time, whether you like it or fucking not. Like we are always going to be going through changes. We're all we're always just being self-destructive. Like we may have psychological issues that pop up because of whatever reasons. Uh, maybe it's something that's outside of ourselves. Maybe it's something we do to ourselves. But we are constantly going through change and destruction, even if we're not dead. You know, and what is death? It's right. it's it's way more complicated than everybody. Everybody tries to make everything so simplistic and black and white, and there's so much more to it than just kill yourself or not kill yourself. <laughs> Although we make jokes about that in memes all the time, I'm sure. <laughs> like the suicidal jokes are very common, uh, and Jim and I have had those conversations. But you know, maybe mm -hmm. those jokes aren't necessarily about literal suicide. Maybe they're about change. Maybe they're about acceptance. Maybe they're about self destruction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I th I think we're 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 treating Ventress's death with the complexity that it deserves, rather than just sort of writing it off as this this um, horrific end. I think that's that's the part of the that's a part of the conversations around this film that I'm glad that we're getting into because some other reviews of the film were not treating this film with the the degree of complexity that it deserves. Um, so do we have any blood bath and beyonding it? I'm just well, gonna throw that out there. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I'm not gonna add to the feud. Uh, not on annihilation. I <laughs> will. <laughs> <laughs> movie's too special to waste time uh, talking about uh, other dumb podcasts. Um, yeah. Can I? I want to go back to or wait. Do you, do we have anything more to say about this? Yeah, I think I think Rob wanted to add something. Oh yeah, go ahead, Rob. I, I did take a simpler view of Ventress's death, and it was it's a strange another strange comparison. Uh, it was uh, I saw the way she went out as a little bit of a Al Pacino in uh, Scent of a Woman kind of thing. This is a this is the last grand tour, you know. I mean, it's a obviously a darker, more macabre variant on that theme but that's that's kind of the idea it's just like well if i'm gonna go i'm gonna go out with a bang i want to accomplish something i want to do something i, I want to be on the vanguard of something or whatever it was that she thought she was doing um you know or going and finding that unknown i mean that that you know i want to see the interest. tango scene though i know right yeah. <laughs> gabrielle Amor is still available i hear uh so what i'm hearing is we need to have dark lily and <laughs> and the dance scene in Scent of a Woman, like combined together. Shut up and take my money. <laughs> yes. Let's fund this. It's better than climax. A better dance movie. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Sorry, no, I had to go there because we were talking about dance. I'm getting I feel personally attacked from this bullying that you two do. We were talking about, uh, I think last week we were talking about how we had multiple dance movies in a row. We had Us, uh, Climax, Suspiria, and uh, we were like, how do we consider Annihilation a dance film? And I was like, oh, the end is definitely a dance between the alien. I it didn't catch it until the rewatch. But yeah, that last scene is kind so of- So my trivia, my trivia impinges on this. So do you know who the ex- the other ex machina character was in this movie played an ex machina also played an annihilation oh is it the 
person in the suit. Oh no, shit. The person in the suit is um, what's her Kyoko? What's her name in a uh, Ex Machina? The, one of the machines, the uh, Asian lady that does the dance. Actually, she does a dance in Ex Machina too. Is wild. She's oh. the one. Yeah, she's the one who does that. Uh, so she has a milieu. Is what she's telling me. Yeah, she definitely has a new. I don't know how we're going to incorporate dance into Martyrs. This can't continue on past this week. There is no dancing in Martyrs. Everyone just I will make it happen. I will figure out how to make this a thing. <laughs> Good fucking luck with that, man. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to add? Any other uh, areas you want to go down before we rate the movie? Well, I want to do two things. One of them is um, about a conversation, a thread that we were talking about a little bit earlier. And... Then the the second thing is sort of idiosyncratic. I just want to say fuck Paramount Studios on the internet for a second, but I'll I'll talk about the first thing first. Um, but that is the theme of we were talking about how Lena and Kane's we were talking about Lena and Kane's relationship, and the theme for that that um, storyline, the song that constantly gets played is "Helplessly Hoping" by Crosby, Stills and Nash. And I looked up the lyrics to that and it perfectly fits with the themes of their relationship. You know, helplessly hoping her har harlequin lovers nearby, awaiting a word, gasping at glimpses of gentle true spirit, he runs wishing he could fly, only to trip on the sound of goodbye. Like, and then like, later- Song, right? What's that? It's like- I I've loved that song for years, and it's like the story is built around that song in a lot of ways. Yes, mm -hmm. they are one person, two alone, yeah. three together, and for each other. That's I I as soon as I kind of looked up the lyrics to that song, yeah, I think you're right, Rob. the The entire Lena and Kane story is kind of is is hinging in that song, and that it's it's almost as though the film is letting you know what type of story this is just in the painting the room scene and how what type of relationship this is from the very beginning when we're introduced to them and the the it, it's masterful filmmaking and 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 it's it's done subtly um the song is sort of light and airy uh, but once you read the lyrics, as I just did, it's 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 fucking heartbreaking. Um, yeah, I want to I, I see production notes from people about that. Like, hey, did you listen to this first and then start on the script? Did you find it halfway through? Like, how did you find such a perp? Like, I, I feel like it had to have been written around the song. Parts of it, at least. Well, Either that or when he read the book, he was like, this reminds me of a song. <laughs> it was either the author or the filmmakers, but I feel like somebody was like, oh, I got a song. Someone. We're going to tweak the story to fit this or something, but it's it's perfect. Such a great song for that. I'll find out when I read the book. It'd be great if he was doing like a Disney film next and he incorporated that into the Disney film and not Annihilation. You know what I mean? Like he was just like, one of these days I'm going to do a yeah, fucking movie with yeah. the song in it. My mom's favorite song and I always said... <laughs> All right, I gotta know. I, I the, the only yeah. thing I've the only thing that's been in my brain now is is fuck Paramount. Like what what what? I need to. What? So okay, so I gotta tell you the story. I gotta tell you the story behind the production of this film. Um, it was produced by it was it was produced by Paramount Pictures. It was funded by um the studio Paramount. 
Um, they gave Alex Garland approximately, you know, $40 million uh, was the estimated budget. And uh, he, you know, submitted ideas for the film, submitted the script, told him the, the concept of the movie. And then he went and they were like, this is great. We love it. And then they, he went and produced, made the movie. He brings the movie back to Paramount. They screen it for the producers. Producers look at the movie and lose complete confidence in the film. And as a result of that, they sell the, uh, the rights to first run of, of, uh, of Annihilation um, to uh, Netflix. And so the people in Great Britain, international rights, I, I'm sorry, I should clarify that. They sell international rights to Netflix so they essentially deprive anybody outside the United States and I think one other country of the opportunity to see Annihilation on the big screen because Paramount believed the, did not believe in the movie. Yeah. And as a result of that, nobody across the seas ever had the chance to see this movie on the big screen. And this is one of those movies that needs to be seen on the big screen with the sound system and all of that. They had no idea how to market the movie either. So they cut the trailer the way they cut the trailer. It seems like a science fiction adventure film that's, that's uh, it's set, it's basically selling it as a science fiction horror adventure film where Natalie Portman wields a machine gun for two hours. And so when audiences are sold this kind of movie, they go into it expecting an action adventure film. They get this metaphorical uh, meditation on change and uh, these these other scenes where it's it's talking about cancer and on and on. And they're like, fuck this movie. So they ended up, they, it ended up getting poor word of mouth because the expectations were set for one thing and they ended up getting another thing. So then the film ends up doing poorly, uh, not poorly, but it does. It ends up grossing um, in the U.S. thirty-two million dollars, which is a fairly disappointing number given the uh, the forty million dollar budget. And it's all because the execs at Paramount were uh, were um, you know not confident in the movie. What now? Who the execs at Paramount are? And the exact people who are uh, who are responsible for this goes. That's another story yet that 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 I want. We need to name to, them and dox them right now. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name and dox them, but there's a uh, there's a, a whole essay and article about the production of of Annihilation and how the failure of I believe a two thousands era James Franco film led to the lack of confidence that the execs at Paramount had in Annihilation. It goes like this is one of those Hollywood stories that goes back even further than uh, than the immediate film. But the fact that nobody in the higher echelon of Paramount Studios was able to step in and say, no, actually this film is good and we have we should have confidence in this film led to its relatively poor reception at the US box office, led to the fact that it didn't have an Oscar campaign, led to the fact that the Oscar, that, that it was then uh, snubbed from the Oscars for best writing, best visual effects, uh, best picture possibly. So the, 
the whole industry story behind Annihilation is absolutely fascinating. I'm only scratching the surface of it in, in this little rant. But the point of all of this is, if you find this as interesting as I do, seek out this information because it's absolutely fascinating. And it's, uh, it's reason to be angry at the studio for how they treated what I think is the masterpiece of 2018. One could say that the Paramount execs were scared of change. <laughs> they relied too heavily on continuity, ways of the past. Or they were trying to advertise to Bloodbath and Beyond as opposed to Deadly Analysis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we were able to stroke our own dicks as well as uh, give a little, <laughs> a little, a little It's a weekly thing. thing we do here. That's how I should open every podcast. Yeah, but deadly analysis where we yeah. stroke our dicks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, we only shoot from you know the here up, so you don't get yeah. to see. When it. when when we say we shoot from the hip, we mean it literally here at Deadly Analysis. Uh, uh, so I'm curious. Yeah, I mean the story behind it. I, I can't I can't recommend it enough to do a little bit more research. I'm I'm not getting into because I don't want to be here for you know. 15 hours describing all of the, the multitude of history behind I this. I need you to make a video for Deadly Analysis where you just rant on Paramount. Like I that's I want to see 15 hours of Jim. Oddly enough, that would be the video that I think would go viral on our channel. <laughs> Call it Jim Fox Paramount. Yeah. <laughs> Paramount pictures. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean they have they are definitely the low man on the totem pole as it comes to box office returns. Um, they are they are remarkably risk averse, and that's because all of their franchises have uh, have squandered in the past few years, and, yeah. and Disney has has sort of exploded the marketplace. Um, in, well, as in, we as we learned, Disney uh, does their own fantastic horror films, as we saw on April first of this year. Mm. Yeah. Disney yes. Yes, we did. I, I mean, annihilation is horrific great. when you think about it, though. <laughs> I was like, oh, let's make a joke. And then I'm like, oh, this movie's fucking my head up. Yeah, after 20 minutes of our uh, Inside Out podcast, listening to it on the way to work, and I was I was just absolutely convinced. I was like, this started out as a joke, but I'm not, I don't think I want to watch that movie again. It's kind of scary. Oh. Uh, All right. So I went off on my Paramount rant. No, I, God, I'm, I, don't, I don't even know who they are, and I'm already angry at them, Jim. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, just think, I, I feel bad for the people overseas who didn't get yeah. the chance to see this movie on the big screen. I saw it on the big screen. Consequently, they are still scared of change, which explains why we voted for Donald Trump, because we embrace change. Here. Right. Uh, we've, seen we've seen annihilation. We've seen annihilation. Why this is going to, lots of thumbs up in this video. Can't wait for the ratings <laughs> on YouTube for this one. Um, well, what did you guys, like, how would you, uh, Jim, I know what you're going to say. Oh, uh, yeah. What, what do you, let's end with Jim. Jim's going to get, uh, Jim never gives a very high rating. So I actually want to end with him because I want to, I want to get Jim's high. This is probably Jim's highest rating. It is. Um, other than The Lobster, which I know is his favorite film of all time. Um, uh, so, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, in terms of just overall, like we used to rate this in terms of fear and then sort of cinematic quality, but combining the two, I don't know, on a scale of one to 10, I would give Annihilation a solid eight. Um, I, which, which is pretty high for me. That's pretty high praise actually for me. Um, I, I like the idea that 
but there's a couple scenes that I just won't forget. You know, the bear is kind of the one that stands out, but that's not, the, the more we're talking, the more I'm realizing Josie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no thanks. I, that, yeah, all right, that's gonna, that's gonna replace the demonic clown in my nightmares. Um, but no, uh, the, the, the acceptance, there's more existential shit, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about after this conversation in this movie than I'd originally thought. Um, there's maybe more of an emphasis on the concept of change and the, the, accept, the, um, the sort of embeddedness of continuity. Um, and I didn't, I guess I didn't really think about that as, as much before this podcast. And so I think that's something that sticks with me. That's, that's part of my fear schema, right? Like that's, that's part of why I'm so scared of the concept of dying is it's change. It's a, it's the, it's the ultimate change, right? Like it's, it's the, it's the, um, the most distinct kind of change we know of. It ain't lopping off an arm. It ain't changing jobs. It's not, you know, it's the end of you. Right. And this movie sort of makes you contemplate the idea of, uh, I don't know, slow changes, the idea of eh, three years ago, it was this big. Now it's this big. And you know what, three years from now, it's going to be this big and things are going to look different and they're going to look the same, but they're going to look different at the same time. And there's this slow sort of thing that happens. Um, and so in that sense, I think this, this movie is a little, a little bit more existentially terrifying than it is viscerally scary, which is how I initially looked at the movie. So I give this an eight out of 10 um, overall. I'm going to put Rob on the spot and ask what you would rate this movie on a scale of one to 10. Get closer to the mic so we can hear you guys talk oh, close to each other. All right. Get over here, buddy. Get over here. Uh, no, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to go with an eight. And yeah, with some, some of the information you guys have put out, some of the ideas you guys have suggested, I'd really like to give it another view and see what I think. But an eight right now, my first impression was a really positive one. That was a great click. What about you, Shara? What do you think? So uh, we didn't get into the tech stuff that much uh, in this film, in our discussion, because there's so much existential fucking dread. Uh, but th there, there's a huge amount of that that's important to me. The shimmer itself looks like, you know, when you mix oil and water, and it has that weird, like, weird discoloration. So it's almost like those two opposing things and the beauty that they create uh, when they mix together. Um, you have amazing sets um, with these weird plant life creatures like coming out, but also the music. Uh, we didn't talk about that too much, but fuck that music. Like seriously, once the transformation happens, when we see what the actual alien is, and then that alien creature turns into this uh, replicant of herself, this, this, echo of who she is and and that music in there was so fucked it reminded me of a tool video i felt like i was watching a tool video and i was like oh shit nine inch nails tool fucking or like late 90s rock shit is fucking happening and and there's a horror horror element to those kinds of uh images and music um god damn it fucked me up and and you you know this noah this is this is my fear <laughs> the pod people, but this is reality. This is literally what happens to us. We change. I, I'm a pod person. Like, if 10 years ago Shara saw this year's Shara, she'd fucking probably want to kill her too. <laughs> Put a fucking 
bomb in her hand and be like, just fuck off. You are not allowed. I need to be my original self. Um, and is it better to be our original self or our new self? Fucking who knows. Um, and obviously the cane part is probably the most fucked up part for me. Um, all of his parts. When he first is revealed when she's trying to paint over the walls and like disguise all of the bullshit and 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 the hardships of her life and and trying to hide her guilt and then he pops up and it's like oh i thought you were dead oh it's like oh god there's so much metaphors in here i it it's it's this movie's fucked and i will probably watch it many many times after this um and reflect on many things and be like god damn it why didn't i notice this i wish i would have said it on the show um, that's a good sign. So yeah, this is a nine. This is a fantastic fucking film. Love this shit. God damn it. This is oh, that's a high lots. rating. But I always do high ratings, and Jim has noted this. <laughs> I love movies. God damn it. <laughs> well, you have given a five to a film before, and Noah, you've given a five to a film before. Wait, wait, wait. What? What was Shara's five? Uh, Shaver's got a bunch of fives. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Pontypool, Requiem for a Dream, Get Out. Pontypool, all right, Shaver. Um, That's it. As soon as this is Dark, over. Darko, Antichrist. You've given fives to uh, Event Horizon, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, It Dude. Follows, Seven Seal. I feel like this is a five out of five situation that yeah. might have been misconstrued. Yeah, Event Horizon. Dr. Caligari is one of my favorites. So are you changing your rating to uh, no. era on no. uh, Annihilation? Okay. All right. So my You know what? Yes. Right. I'm going to change Annihilation to a five. Based oh, off you're of changing Annihilation to a five. Okay, good. <laughs> no, good. I'm now just joking. Oh, I man. feel like there might have been a five. Because this is actually Noah's fault. Okay? Mm -hmm. Noah had adjusted. He went from five out of five was like how we were rating. We change up the rating in a lot of oh, ways. Gummy bears next week. Like we're gonna be like, how many? Bears <laughs> this this film, yeah, it's gonna be right. Like like honestly, Dr. Caligari was a huge uh, push for me. I I love that film, so I don't think I'd give it a five out of ten. Yeah, same thing for Event Horizon. Oh no, we're gonna have to go back and rescore some of these because Event Horizon was five out of five. That was back when everything was five. Yeah, yeah we might need to adjust this, Jim. I've taken I've taken all the ten ratings and divided it by two, but whatever, it's fine. Four point five. I'm satisfied with four point five. I'm going to send you the algorithm for the gummy bear rating this week. <laughs> on standby, you need to. <laughs> We're getting in the weeds here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, wait, wait! Jim has a, a whole thing he's going to go down. We're, he's got to light a cigarette, and then we're going to we're going to do some Jim. Hang on, I, we need background music for Jim's rating. Hang on, I got it here. Okay, go on, Jim. <laughs> You'll get us demonetized <laughs> with the background music. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's no. I've actually never, I've got the spreadsheet right in front of me. I've given some 4.5s to Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Bug Break, Going for a Dream, Get Out. I've never given a five-star rating until now. Oh, shit. Stars, five stars for Annihilation. Absolutely. I, there's no question about it for me. This is this is by easily my favorite film of last year. Um, and it's it's up there among my favorite films of the decade so far. It is uh it is a phenomenal, phenomenal film. 
um, for all the reasons that we talked about. But I, I, I do want to sort of get into, uh, you know, I don't necessarily talk about personal interpretations of movies on the internet or on, on um, publicly. It's very rare that I will um, discuss any sort of my personal life as it relates to my criticisms of films. But I'm going to do that just, to, I'm going to kind of dip my toes into it a little bit. Uh, especially since we do it, we do it often on this podcast. Um, and so I, 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 I think of um, experiences and, and thoughts that I had as a, a, a child, as I imagined what my life would be when I was 38 and as I'm 38 now, and um, it's always different than what I am right now that the the dreams and the imagination that I had when I was 16 dreaming of who I would be and what I would be doing when I was 38 is vastly different from the reality of my 38 year old life. And that has and continues to be in many cases a source of a great deal of anxiety. It's uh, it, it has been and continues to be a source of perhaps some disappointment. Um, that that the reality of who I am now doesn't match the imagination of who I was then. And because that is my life experience and the the how I'm negotiating the planet, remembering who I was then and what I dreamed of who I would be now, um, I, I approach the film, I approach a lot of art with that kind of mentality in the background, that sort of emotional baggage in the background. In films like Annihilation, um, we, you know, we talk on this podcast a lot about films that invoke fear. We talk about films that uh, inspire um, our our own fears of of. Um, of of death, of the unknown, of being replaced by pod people in, in Shayra's case. We talk a lot about that stuff on this podcast, but I don't think what we talk about, what we don't talk about is how films can sometimes allay fears, how films can sometimes tell you that the change is natural and the dreams that you had as a 16-year-old dreaming of who you would be when you were 38 were the dreams of a child. And that those dreams uh, do not have the validity and the, the, um, the, ex the, um, the experiences that you as an older person have. And so for that reason, when I came out of Annihilation, uh, not only were all these themes about biological determinism and 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 all that stuff that the the intellectual stuff that was swimming in my head, but so was this really deep seated emotional sense about who I was now compared to who I thought I would be as a kid, and that um, when annihilation touched that in me and touched that touched allaying those fears for me, it did something really profound. And uh, for that reason, I, I I found this film to be as compelling as I do. Wow, that is, um, that's hard to follow. That's, uh, that, that reminds me a lot of, uh, in my own experience, Liam Neeson's film, The Gray, 
which we'll probably get into at a certain point. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you're right. We talk a lot about fears as informative, but what does that mean, right? In this podcast, we talk about the idea of fears informing us or, or being reflective of something in, in, a, in society, but at the individual level, you know, allaying, the, allaying particular fears, just, just the, the idea of, like fear doesn't just mean it's something that we're, we're scared of necessarily, right? Um, I think in a lot of cases, it's something that can maybe move the opposite way, which is something that produces something good in us, something that changes the way we think. Um, I, I don't know, I, uh, it's hard to follow. That's a very, uh, I'm, I'm very thankful that you shared that with us. That's a, that's a heavy, that's a very heavy thought. And I would have never guessed Annihilation would be the movie that would do that for you. I guess in a lot of ways, maybe a lot of people wouldn't think the gray of all films would be the one that would do it for me. Um, it's very interesting how we respond to different movies in different ways, different books in different ways, right? Different ideas and concepts in different ways. Um, or different songs to create songs. other media in different ways. <laughs> yeah. And no matter what you say, Jim, I bet 16-year-old Jim didn't think 38-year-old Jim was going to be such a sexy fox. So just throwing that out there. Probably had no idea. I was helplessly hoping someone would say that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, 16-year-old Jim just didn't know. He didn't know. Um, that's awesome. Uh, I, You know, we're doing next week, we're doing Martyrs. It's our first uh, viewer inspired movie uh most of the time it'll we... probably be rated bad <laughs> so yeah, no, yeah. no offense jim if you can end martyrs in the powerful way that you just ended our annihilation podcast i would be forever grateful uh I, in fact that's the challenge next week i want to i want something i want one of us to be so emotionally impacted by Mar that's not gonna happen i can't even finish that sentence um yeah so next week I, i'm feeling sick next week yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, we're uh, as you can see, we're going to clearly rate martyrs uh, so much higher than annihilation. Uh, so yeah, next week at uh, six p.m. We start a little late today. I apologize. Six p.m. next week on Sunday evening, we are doing martyrs. Uh, Luna in the chat. I just want to throw this out to you. Uh, if you haven't seen martyrs, what's the phrase in Jurassic Park? Uh, hold on to your butts. Plural. It's plural with martyrs. Hold on to your butts. Even if you only have one butt, hold on, but hold on to as much of it as possible watching martyrs. Cause damn, uh, it is a, bad, it's extremely violent and visceral and uh, there's a feminist bend to it, but I don't think it's a good feminist bend to it. So um, let's- so what uh, you're telling me is that Luna and I should watch it together. Cause I haven't seen it yet either, hmm. Luna. Uh, and maybe we can watch it together and, you know, annihilate it with our... See, so like Alexander and, our, and annihilate it. I just get, took me... You see how late that hit me? That was kind of sad. Uh, so yeah. Like, another drink. Yeah. <laughs> so Alexander in our uh, chat, it's one of his favorite movies. We've gotten a lot of comments like that. Like it's, uh, uh, it's the most requested movie that we haven't done is Martyrs. So we're going to do Martyrs. I'm gonna give it another shot. I've seen Martyrs uh, once. We're doing the director's cut, which is different, a little different than the non-director's cut, the theatrical, I think. So uh, we'll be doing that next Sunday, 6 p.m. Um, yeah, if you if you have anything you wanna add to this, uh, throw down a comment. We always love seeing what people think uh, of the films that we do. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we're always active on social media, causing a havoc. Um, if you have any recommendations, uh, shoot us a message. Let us know. We're, we're doing Martyrs, uh, and then I think we'll do a round of 
other films. We're going to start doing, I think, Raw, Jacob's Ladder. Uh, we're going to hit a cannibal and uh, a, a, a cannibal and human flesh eating uh, area of the podcast that we've never done before. We haven't done many. I, I don't think you're into Raw, though. I don't I don't see any indication behind you that you're into Raw. I'm not into Raw at all. Nope. <laughs> None at all. None at all. Uh, yeah. News for my evening. Yeah, no, no, that's actually not raw. I took that of a woman that I saw in Paris. You know what? It's a long story. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be doing uh, we're going to be doing a lot of cannibalism, which I think would be interesting. One of the things that I wanted to do in this podcast, we really haven't had a lot of time for, is going over concepts week to week. Like, what is it about home invasion movies or monster movies or cannibal movies? Like, just looking thematically, taking a step back and going over these. Like, we've done dance movies the last. I feel like we just need to end on Black Swan, but no, we're going to end on the dance in Annihilation. Um, and we'll she see. She was in Black Swan. It kind of counts. You know what? Yeah, there you go. Natalie Portman was in Black Swan too. In fact, you know what? We'll just say Annihilation was a sequel. Like after she became a dancer, she was like, I don't want to. I want to do this. She decided to join the military, then become a biology professor. It, it all works. Don't worry. She did everything, and you have done nothing with your life. Uh <laughs> Uh, so yeah, on that note, uh, check us out next week. We'll see you guys uh, a week from tonight where uh, we'll be going over <sighs> martyrs. See you guys next week.